Welcome to Anchor Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more education, visit www.anchorchurchcsra.com. Ephesians 4, we're going to end this chapter today. We're actually going to start chapter 5. We've been doing a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians all summer long, okay? There's no other way to do it. Start a brand new church. We talked a lot about Jesus and his life. We did a series called Jesus No Filter. We just wanted to see Jesus clearly, and so we spent a lot of time with that. Then right after Easter, right after baptizing a ton of, a ton of people at the end of April, we baptized eight people so far this year. Can we just give God a hand for how he's working in people's hearts and lives? I mean, it really is just a brag on what he is doing. I could literally just spend the whole sermon time uh, telling you about all the things that God is doing, all the exciting things going on at Anchor Church, all the, all the kids that are here. I mean, we, we have about 20 to 25 kids each week in our kids' environment. And so when you talk about every Sunday we meet, at least half the church is in our kids' environment that's a really healthy place to be. And I, I just want to tell you all that. Again, it's not a brag on us. It's just a, it really is a boast in what Christ is doing here. Um, our church is, is having a really healthy start. Uh, just, I mean, I've, I connect with a lot of church planters that start new churches in a lot of different places in our country. We need thousands more uh, tomorrow. But there are thousands of churches that have been planted. I've connected with hundreds of planters just over the years. And it's not always uh, this way. And so we're really blessed uh, here. But you're a part of that. Man, we couldn't, we couldn't um, do what we do with our kids without several of you even sitting out here today volunteering. Um, some of our volunteers are back there right now. And many of our volunteers are on vacation right now, getting that much needed rest. We got a lot of people on the road this week. And we got a lot of new faces in the room uh, today. So it's just a really exciting, an exciting time. Um, just go ahead and save the date. Sorry for a little announcement at the beginning of the sermon, but it's that important. Uh, we're going to spend a day. It's the fourth Saturday in July. It's the 23rd, I believe it is. Saturday, July 23rd. And we are going to go knock on doors. We're not going to go shove Jesus down people's throats or anything like what people think of when you think about knocking on doors and things like that. We're going to go invite people. We're going to ask them, A, how we can pray for them. And then B, we're going to invite them to the park that night for a party. And we're going to throw a little party. We're going to have some food. We're going to have some lawn games. We're going to have inflatable for the kids. It's going to be a great time. And so you can be a part of that. Even if you don't want to do the door knocking part, you can come that night and, um, and come party in the park with us. It's going to be a Blanchard Park in Martinez. And there's a neighborhood connected to that park. So we're going to engage that neighborhood right there. It's not the exact neighborhood I live in. It may not be the exact neighborhood you live in either. We do live over in that area. Uh, but we want to engage that neighborhood. And just it's just an easy invite to a place that they could walk to. And they could bring their kids. And, and we'll hopefully have five generations of people out there eating some good barbecue and having a good time together. It's just a chance to, to honestly form relationships to get neighbors to know one another. The Bible says, love your neighbors yourself, okay? That means your literal neighbor, 
the person you live next to, but then also it means the people you don't live next to, people you don't even know, and it'd be a great opportunity for you to engage with that. So if you like getting your uh, hands dirty in ministry, if you're looking to make a difference, then that day would be a great day to uh, engage with that. So more info to come on that. If you haven't done so yet, download the Church Center app from the App Store, Church Center. You can search Anchor Church, and that's kind of our church app. And so if you need help setting that up, definitely let us know. Also, you might notice that there's a card sitting right next to you in the seats. There's cards everywhere. Those are connect cards. And on the back, there, there's more. Uh, there are next steps on the back. And so take some time at some point and just read that card, re- read over through it. If you're new here, we'd love a record of your visit. We would love uh, to, to not just uh, obtain more information from you, but we would love to journey with you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to send you some snail mail from time to time. And so uh, connect with us there. You can fill those out. Just leave them right in your seat. You don't have to take them anywhere, hand them to anybody. You can just leave them right there in your seat. We'll pick them up at the end of the service. All right, promise we'd get in Ephesians, so let's go there. Ephesians 4, but we're going to start reading verses 5 and 2 from, I'm sorry, verses 1 and 2 from chapter 5. There it is. All right, so we're going to read this first. This is going to set up the whole entire message this morning entitled, Walk in Love. So let's read Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, let's read this together. Therefore, be imitators of God. As dearly loved children. I turned this thing on silent. Anybody else do that? You turn your phone on silent? I mean, it literally says no sound right here. I'm just, I'm just showing you guys. And still, all, all sermon long. Man, you know what I'm doing? Here we go. This is what you do. Turn it off. Take that, your robot. All right, here we go. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love, there's the title. As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And so that sets up the whole entire sermon because if we're going to walk in love, if we're going to do what Jesus did for us to other people, to go and love your neighbor as yourself, then the end of chapter four walks us through that. So Ephesians has been a lot of theology. That's what we believe about God, about who he is, about what he's done for us. We learned in Ephesians 1 that he's given us a lot of blessings. Raise your hand if you've been blessed by God in the room. Anybody? Yeah, we all have received spiritual blessings from him. Yes, maybe physical blessings too, but spiritual blessings. In the heavens, kept for you in heaven until you get there. And then here on earth, chapter 2, we learn about the salvation we receive from God. And then these dividing walls for race and ethnicity and people groups have been broken down and we've all been made one in Jesus Christ. The gospel unites all people. And then in chapter three, we learn how God gives us strength. He gives us a a foundation to build our lives upon and we receive strength by that. And then we're strengthened to believe that he can do anything that he wants to do. And so we pray to him. Ask him to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. And then in chapter four, just to recap, because I know not all of us have been here every single week. Last week, we talked a lot about how God has given us grace, not just to save us from our sins, but also to empower us for ministry. And we talked about what that looks like. Then we talked about this old self and new self, that it's really easy as a new creation in Christ to drift back into the old self or before you started really walking with Jesus and start to think and act in that way. And so we talked about putting off the, new, putting off the old self and moving on to the new self 
And this week we unpack what does it look like to walk in love in that new self. All right, that's quite a setup. So here we go. Let's, let's, let's dive right on in. And there's just a few encouragements for us today. How do we walk in love? The first way, if you want to know how to walk in love, if you're a note taker like me, write these down. The first way is to speak truthfully. Speak truthfully. That's the first way to walk in love. Our speech matters, right? Let's read Ephesians 4, verse 25 together. Therefore, putting away, what's that word? Is it up there yet? Yeah. Therefore, putting away, lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. So let's break this down piece by piece. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, right? Genesis chapter 3, the first two human beings. It did not take long before lying entered the picture. Genesis 3.1 is where we have the terrible lie. The first lie to ever come into existence. The first thing. And that sneaky, crafty serpent comes along and asks this question right here. Did God really say, or the old school King James way, hath God said, right? So this, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, did God really say that? No, he didn't tell them they can't eat from any tree in the garden. But he asked a question, and here's the deal. Here's what the devil will do. Not every question is created equal. Not every question is a good question. Questions are good. It's how we learn things. We should question. And we want to be the kind of church where you can come and you can ask questions. Even, even if it's from a place of skepticism. That's okay. We, we want to be the kind of church where we, where we help find answers to those questions. But there is, behind every question, this is what Ravi Zacharias said one time. He's a great uh, apologist uh, who's, who had, a, um, you know, had for a while a great ministry. And here's what Ravi said one time. He said, Behind every question, there is a questioner. And this is what we see here. Did God really say it was the first lie? It, when, when we begin to question God's word, that is where the source of misinformation happens. That is where sin begins. That is where lying begins. And the Bible makes it clear in John 10, 10. Jesus said these words. He says, hey, the enemy, he's a liar. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus tells us. And there's this quote from Warren Wearsby that I want to put up here for a second. He makes a really good point. Whenever we tell the truth, the Spirit of God goes to work. But whenever we lie, that's where Satan goes to work. And so we can either be used by the Spirit of God for the good in this world, or we can be used by the devil to advance his agenda of lying and sin and hurt. So why do we lie? Why do we lie? Because everyone in this room has lied at a certain point. And you know, it's interesting. Kids, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Your, your parents probably did not sit you down and say, now, sweetie, this is how you lie. Your parents did not teach you how to lie, right? Mine either. Mine, mine did not. Adults in the room, when, when you were kids, did your parents teach you how to lie? Did they sit you down and say, now, this is how you lie? No, we figure it out quick. Okay, and there's a few reasons for that. The first reason that we lie, and we learn this when we're young because, because we're all born sinners. That is the first doctrinal truth that we must come face to face with, that we are all born with the inclination or just like, think about a factory default setting. 
for your phone or something like that. Our factory default setting is sinfulness. Not that anything wrong with us and how God made us. God made us to be good, but we live in a sinful, fallen, and broken world. And so that sin affects us. And so we naturally are born, not only sinners, but we're born, we gravitate towards lying. We lie to self-preserve, don't we? To preserve ourselves or to promote ourselves sometimes. We want ourselves to look good. And so someone will ask us a question or someone will, or, or we'll have an opportunity to say something truthful, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of cast a different shadow on it to make ourselves look better. Lying, lying can take place in a lot of different forms. We also lie to avoid punishment. That's probably one of the number one reasons we learn it as kids. We figure out really quick, hey, if I, if I lie about it, I don't get in trouble. And I don't wanna get in trouble. It's as simple as that. But then our parents help us learn, right, kids, that even though you might not get in trouble, it still hurts people to lie, right? It's still not a good idea. And in the end, mama always finds out, amen? My mom always did. <laughs> she, said, she said, don't ever lie, I will find out. And that held true 100% of the time. I don't know how she did it some of the times, but, uh, but no, I mean, we, we do it to avoid punishment. Fear, fear's another reason why we may lie. Insecurity, here's, here's a sneaky one. We lie sometimes because it has the illusion of help, the illusion of help. You think if I told them the truth about this, it would hurt them. And so I kind of have to lie about this. We'll even call these very generously. There are some legitimate white lies, you know, some things which really we should use the word discretion in that case, because that's a biblical concept where we say, hey, I'm gonna withhold some truth, not to hurt someone, not in a devilish kind of way, but in a way that I legitimately do not need to share this information with them. It would be inappropriate. That's, that's wisdom and that's called discretion. And Satan is real crafty with how he gets in there because he'll convince you that you're telling, like, I, I can't be honest with them. But a lot of the time, it is something that we should share. And we'll pass it off as something excusable. We'll say, if, and we can get in some really icky places with this, even in marriages, right? With the spouse, if I told my spouse that I did that, then it would hurt them too bad. And so if I don't tell them, I'll just work it out on my own. I won't fess up to it. I'll just kind of keep it here on the side. And then what happens? Over time, it festers. And we never really own our sin. We, we never really, because, you know, it's difficult, married couples, to get face-to-face -face with your spouse and go, hey, I messed up. I mean, my, my wife's my best friend. I care deeply about what she thinks about me. There's a lot of people in this world, I don't care what they think about me, but as long as she, as long as she thinks well about me, then, then we're good. And so this can be really hard, but the Lord is always challenging me. No, Brandon, you need to own your sin to even your spouse. And I would encourage you to do that for a healthy marriage, um, you know, because, because then it's a, it's a place of humility and then your spouse can pray for you and you can help each other in that. And so that is, the, that, is the, uh, that is another reason why we lie, to conceal the truth, generally. And so scripture tells us in Ephesians 4.15 to speak the truth in love. And we learned last week that a downward spiral of this empty thinking of sin leads us to a really dark place, dark heart, hardened heart, and eventually, where did we say last week? Calloused, right? A calloused heart where we don't even feel sin anymore. It doesn't even bother us. It's no big deal. Well, the same happens with lying. You degenerate to a place where guess what happens eventually? If you feed lying, if you feed the beast of lying and you don't starve that beast with truth, here's what happens. You will become a compulsive liar. 
And compulsive liars cannot help but lie. It's what they have learned to do. And it's amazing, isn't it? Like what we practice and are disciplined in, we get really good at it. And so the same effort that we show towards darkness sometimes, it's like God's just telling us, man, if you would just do that with the, with the good things, you would be amazed at what I would want to do in your life. But, but, but this speaking falsely is holding us back. And it was holding this church back. And I'm not saying we have a church full of liars here, but I'm just saying that if we were all really, really, really honest, that all of us still really struggle with this in some sort of way. It's hard to tell the truth. It is. As much as any of us would be like, I'm 100% honest all the time. Not, not true. Okay? I, I, I wish I could tell you that. But I stand here as your pastor and say, I, you know, this is, this is a temptation for me. And I know it is for you as well. And so let's look at this honestly together and we go, well, what do we do about this? Well, what does is, what is, uh, Paul say here? Well, we put away the lying. We commit to speaking the truth. Each one to his neighbor. And here's the truth. Because we are members to one another. Here's the motivation. It's not just personal. It's not just, well, if I don't tell the truth, it's going to hurt me. It's if I don't tell the truth, it's going to cause damage to other people. So we think about how it affects others. And here's what we know. If the body lies to the body, we're in trouble. Think about it. If you touched a hot pot on the stove, all right, kids, you should never do that. But if you did, if you, if you were tempted to for some reason, you go, oh man, that, that pot looks pretty cool. I think I might wanna touch it. If you touch that pot, what should your brain say to your hand? Ouch, oh, and you, and you pull that limb back, right? What if the brain lied to the hand and said, man, that, that feels great. And you put your hand right on that pan. What's, what's gonna happen to the skin? You're gonna have a nasty burn. You're gonna have a doctor's hospital in the burn unit, okay? Because it's gonna be bad news. When the body lies to the body, there is damage. When the body lies to the body, there's dysfunction. And it's one of the biggest church killers today is a culture of lying. So let's commit Anchor Church to be a church that speaks the truth in love. We can speak the truth and not be jerks about it, right? We can be honest with each other. And sometimes, and it, that doesn't mean it's not awkward. It's always awkward to speak the truth in love. It's always awkward. Oh, so awkward. Well, we gotta push through that because we care more about people's souls and about their lives than we do about a momentary awkwardness. We love them more. All right, let's get on with number two. We can spend the whole sermon on number one. Number two, be careful with your anger. Hmm, here's one. How many of us in the room, you don't have to show me, show of hands, but how many of us in the room, anger just really gets you? Man, it's hard, isn't it? Man, I don't know where it is for you. I don't know if it's behind the wheel. I don't know, I don't know if it's road rage or, or if it's like social media or if it's, you know, sometimes parents, you know, just at a certain point, your gears have been grinded all, all day. I, I know for parents of small children, sorry, sorry kids, just kind of the truth sometimes, you know, I mean, and, you've, and you've seen it in the, in the home. Sometimes things get a little tense. You just get on each other's nerves a little bit. But what does verse 26 say? Let's, let's read this together. The first two words, what do they say here? Be angry. Well, that sounds the opposite of what the Bible should say, right? Isn't, isn't anger a sin? No, anger, anger is not the sin. Paul writes, be angry, but do not sin. This comes from Psalm 4.4. David actually wrote these words uh, a thousand years before Paul wrote them. He said, be angry and do not sin. So there is a time to be angry. In fact, you should 
there, there are things in this world that should make you angry. There are. There, that's, that's righteous anger. And really, if, if we think about it, all anger begins with righteous anger because something happens, it upsets you, and it's not bad that it upset you and made you angry, but it's where you go from there. It's what you do with the anger. So here's the truth about anger, just like any other emotion, right? I, I've, I feel angry. I am angry. It could be just like being happy. I'm happy. Well, happiness can get you in a whole lot of trouble too, can it? If, if what you're happy about is not holy, then it can get you in a whole lot of trouble. And so the problem isn't being happy. The problem isn't being angry. It's where you go from there. So anger is an emotion, but anger is not a sin, but can give way to sin. And that's what I want you to remember today. Anger is not a sin, but anger can give way to sin. And so what do you do with your anger? The, the first thing we should do with our anger is to be skeptical of our anger, is to question our anger. You know why we should do this? Because what God does. Genesis chapter four, right after Adam and Eve mess up, they get kicked out of the garden, right? And now Genesis four, these twins are born, Cain and Abel. They're at each other's throats from the beginning. Cain's a jealous guy. He kills his brother and God, and then and Cain gets angry about God's rejection of his offering and the acceptance of his brother. And God asked Cain the same question that he asked Jonah many years later, Jonah and the whale, remember that story? from the Bible, he, he asks a lot of people these same question. He says, do you do well to be angry? Are you angry for the right reason? Are you ang- do you have a legit case for being angry right now? Because the answer is with most of us in the room, most situations, probably not. Probably not. There are times where, where, where we should be. Like I said before, I'm not going back on what I said. I'm just saying that there are many, many, many times, if we're really honest, if we, if we take the time to question our anger, we go, should this really make me that angry? And I know many times with me, it's like, that should not frustrate me the way it's eaten in me. But it is. And so be skeptical about your anger. Be angry, do not sin. The next thing we need to do is tackle our anger. Tackle your anger. And this is where the verse says, right after, uh, in, the, in the next part, look at this in 26. Be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And what does that mean? Well, sometimes it means that, you know, the, the way my grandparents put it, b- before I got married, they told me, I've been married almost 11 years. And they told me before I got married, they said, hey, never go to bed angry at each other. Stay up and fight. And not always like impacting me. And there, there are some exceptions, guys. Sometimes a good night of sleep will solve a lot of problems, okay? So some, sometimes like we just need to pray about it and just sense in, in the moment whether or not it's a good idea because there, there are some limits to that advice that I've experienced where sometimes we've gone to bed, we said, hey, I, I love you. Let's get some sleep and then let's wake up tomorrow morning and let's finish this conversation over some breakfast and coffee, Okay. And a lot of times that conversation went much better the next morning at 9 a.m. than it would have at 1.30 uh, a.m. the next day when we're just stirring it all up and things like that. And so that's what I will say about that. So the Bible is not saying literally do not go to sleep when you're angry. But what Paul is really getting at here, he's saying don't snooze on your anger. Don't snooze on it. Don't, don't pass it. Don't say, ah, whatever. Just, you know, there are some legitimate times where we need to do that, but we need to, ta- we need to be proactive with our anger. Does that make sense? We need to tackle it. We need to not only tackle it, but we should, actually, uh, we should actually process it. We should pray about it. The Bible says, hey, cast all your anxieties, your fears, your stresses, cast them upon the Lord, 1 Peter 5, 7. 
Cast them upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Take it to the throne room of God. That's the first place I take my anger. You know, I take it straight to God. Say, God, I'm really angry about this. Help me. Help me figure out why I'm angry about this. Help me process it. The second part of Psalm 4-4 that I I didn't read earlier, it's not only to uh, be angry, do not sin, but it's reflect in your heart while you're on your bed and be silent. That's the next part of that verse, Psalm 4-4. Reflect on your bed and be silent. So maybe you just need to sit down and think about it for a little while. Not stew in it, but just be skeptical. Tackle your anger. I don't know if how many of you like the journal, but getting your feelings on paper does help. Dudes, I know it's a tough sell, all right? A lot of us aren't, a lot of us don't have journals, all right? But I highly recommend it. I've gotten into this over the past four or five years, and it's really helped me. In fact, it's been really cool to go back in previous years and to see how I was feeling on December 27th, 2016, and to go like, oh man, I didn't realize I was feeling, like I forgot that that was what I was going through. It's actually been really healthy. So I would recommend, man, if you're, if you're uh, upset or, or anything like that, man, get it out on paper. It's a, it's a really healthy way to process your anger, all right? And then lastly, redeem your anger. Redeem it. Now, what does that mean? It is possible to have something terrible happen, to be legitimately angry about it, to question it, to process, and then maybe even arrive at a place where, you know what, I should be angry about this. This should bother me. This is, this is a legitimate case to be angry. But then we can redeem our anger. What is redemption? It's when you take something really ugly and messed up and broken and God can make something beautiful out of it. And we go, God, help me channel this anger into passion that leads to something positive. Does that make sense? Instead of dwelling on how this makes you angry, especially things you can't control, right? I can't control this, it just makes me so angry. Well, what can I do about this? Well, I can let that drive me forward to do something positive that will help. And then over time, as that redemption unfolds, as that, as that beauty surfaces, it will cover up all that anger and your anger will subside. And that's what I do wanna tell uh, those of us in the room that like, this just really eats at you, you know, the anger thing. Your anger will subside, but we have to do the right things with our anger. And we'll never avoid sin with anger if we're not intentional with our anger. All right, let's move on. What else does Paul tell us? Well, he tells us number three to work honestly. Let's, let's work through this one real quick. Let the thief no longer steal. Does that sound like the Ten Commandments to anybody? Thou shall not steal. So we've heard that before. But what is he to do? See, the Bible is not just a rule book full of things you shouldn't do. The Bible is more about what should I be doing? And if I focus on the things I should be doing, that's, that, that's gonna take care of the shall nots. We, we won't have to dwell on the shall nots if, if we go, okay, but I'm focused on this. I'm focused on the right thing. That's why I always, when I, when I think about the commands of the Lord, I like to think about the oughts rather than the ought nots. And there are some things that we should remember. That we should, you know, like you, you should not kill people. Like that's something you should know and you should remember. But if we love our neighbor as ourself, that kind of takes care of that. You can't love your neighbor as yourself and hurt your neighbor. And so we work honestly. Why? Instead, he's to do what kind of work there? Honest work, right, with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Stealing is fundamentally evil in the way that Satan is described in the Bible. He's described as the thief. In fact, when God created humans, it is a basic human right to own personal property, right? That is the assumption by, hey, you can't steal because 
they own that already. It's theirs, and that's the blessings we receive. God gives us blessings, and they are genuinely ours, and we can't just go and take something from someone else that we want. We can't even, God, God actually says you shouldn't even covet it. You shouldn't even be sitting there going, ooh, man, I'd really love to have, man, I wish, and here's how you know you're coveting, ready? It's not, it's not a sin to go, man, they have that. That's really nice. I'd like to have one of those. That's not sin. What sin is, is I wish they didn't have that and I wish I had it instead, all right? Used to really struggle with, you know, just transparency time. People go on nice vacations, all right? You know, see people out, out in the Caribbean, kick back at an all-inclusive resort, you know, like they go on these like five a year and you get on Facebook and you see all their pictures and stuff. And, you know, we're struggling to take like one vacation a year for a few days. It is just like, man, how do, you, how do you afford that? How do you afford to go to Disney for the 10th time? You know, just get all these like negative thoughts in your head. Like that's covetousness. And I've been there before. I'm, I'm just messing up to you guys right now. You know, that's something, that's, that's one of the dangers of social media, right? You, you get to see everybody else's blessings and it's a challenge. You can either be happy for them. That's what God began to encourage me to do and it come a long way of just going like, man, that's awesome. Man, I'm glad they get to do that. Man, praise God and comment. Man, I hope you guys have a great time. And like, I genuinely mean it, you know. But, the, but there was a time where it was just like, oh, how did they get to do that? You know, so we got to work through that a little bit. But we work honestly. What is, what is the ultimate point? Well, we, we do honest work because God calls us to a life of integrity. In, integrity matters. The purity and holiness of our lives matter. God calls us to holiness. Now, that's not cool. In today's terms, it's, it's not cool to be holy, but it's the number one thing that God is. It's his number one attribute, above love, above merciful, above anything else. God is holy. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. That's what God told us. And what does Ephesians 5, 1 tell us? The, the very first verse of the whole sermon, be imitators of God. Live, live like him. Be like your heavenly father. And so we do honest work. We own our work because ownership is a thing, right? You guys have experienced this. You, you've had jobs where there was no ownership, where you, where you just had someone barking orders at you and you just did what they told you to do and you really didn't feel like it was yours. But when you have work that's yours, how many, how many of you are uh, crafty, artsy people? Anybody? You, know, like you, like to, you, know, like you, you, you really own your work. Or you have something like that that you like to do that you really are involved in. It's a passion for you. You love to do it. That's, that's ownership. And, and you're almost, uh, you know, you're proud of your work in, in a positive sense, not, not in a negative sinful sense, but like, hey, you know what? I accomplished something there. That was awesome. That really blessed me. So there's an ownership there. Own your work. But then also the ultimate point of all honest and ownership-based work, you know what it is? Has nothing to do with you and I. Has nothing to do with us personally. It has everything to do with everybody else. It's to share so he has something to share with anyone in need. And this gives us a window to God's plan. Everyone do their honest work. Everyone own their work. Work peaceably in unity. And then let's bless each other with that work. Let's help each other in need. And so don't exploit your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't kill your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Not only that, we need to speak graciously. Man, this one's challenging, isn't it? Speak graciously. That's the fourth one. Verse 29, it's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. This one's just, it's, it's just gold. I didn't say it was easy. I just said it's one of my favorites. It's just, it's one that the Spirit's always reminded me of. 
And it says this, and, it, and, and God's very clear here. No foul language, let's say it again. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what's good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. The Greek word, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, translated to English. The Greek word for foul doesn't just mean uh, out of bounds, like we would think of foul, or, or just kind of like, eh, you know, like some, something we don't prefer, but like this is putrid. This is like our English word putrid or filthy. This is like the bottom, this scum. This, it's, it's that just nasty kind of thing. And so that's, that's the flavor of word in the Greek that this is. And that's the kind of language that Paul is talking about here. Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, he said this thing, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure, they bring forth what's evil. For his mouth speaks that of which fills his heart. So this encouragement at its core, what speech is ultimately good for is the building up and betterment of those around us. And speech has, our words say a lot. I know we say, um, you know, words are, words are empty. Man, I don't care about your words. Show, show me with your action, okay? And we say that because our word, like action should back up what we say, and that's legit. But sometimes we, in doing that, we devalue the words. We say, well, words don't really matter. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but your words can never hurt me. Well, that's just not true. Like words are powerful. In fact, I'm willing to bet there's some words that you have in your mind that have never gone away. And maybe those are painful words. I have some of those words in my mind too, some things people said to me many years ago. And I've had to make that choice to forgive over and over and over again, even though they said that to me, even though uh, you know, I'm still tempted to be angry about that, but they said this and, and, and God will help you with that. God, like, like you really can practice that forgiveness. We're gonna get there in a second. But this, this, this putrid, foul language, what is Paul talking about here? Well, it's interesting because we might not think of this one, but Philippians tells us to do everything without grumbling or complaining. So sometimes foul language, this isn't just a bank of wordy dirds, as they're called sometimes, uh, that, you know, like some like list of 20 words that uh, would make it in a rated R film. You, you guys know the bank I'm thinking of, the blank word, the this word, the that word. We're not just talking about that. I, I think it's definitely included. I, I don't think those words really characterize a godly or holy life, and we should really be mindful of which words we mean. There's not a bank of those words in the Bible because culture changes, meaning of words changes. It was a it was a curse word in 800 AD, but now it's not, and it is then. But we should be mindful of those. But that's not really what he's getting at. What he's getting at is the heart behind those words and the effects of those words. Now, what's the big deal with complaining? Well, complaining doesn't build people up. You kind of come off eventually like Eeyore, right? The only Now, Eeyore's adorable, okay? He's people's favorite character on Winnie the Pooh sometimes, but he just kind of brings it down. Remember the SNL skit in the 90s? For those of you who remember Saturday Night Live, Debbie Downer, remember Debbie Downer? It makes me think of, wah, wah, you know, it makes me think of Debbie Downer. This is a hilarious skit, but... The truth behind it isn't so hilarious because we know, and we have all probably been that person at some point where we're like, we reflect back and go, man, I really feel like I brought things down. I probably shouldn't have said that. But at the same time, we wanna be transparent and we do wanna be able to share how we're feeling. So we have to weigh that out. But complaining in general is just not a great idea. The Bible actually discourages, uh, discourages that, says do everything without complaining. Uh, negative criticism can be like this. Constructive criticism means you're sharing feedback to build someone up, to make someone better. 
Negative criticism is intended to do the opposite. It's intended to tear down. And it actually, if we're really honest, it tends to want to make the other person look better. It's I'm tearing you down so that I can look better. And that's at the heart of foul language in that way. Uh, Augustine, our early church father, said this, he who speaks evil, he had this, um, he had this sign up above his table, like one of those like frames in your dining room, you know? And he had this up above his table. Listen to this. He who speaks evil of an absent man or a woman is not welcome at this table. He says, if they're not around, can it? If they're not around to defend themselves or if they're not in the room, and you're, then that's just a good boundary for us. And that's a great way to avoid gossip, isn't it? It's a great way to avoid slander and malice and all the things that the Bible over and over and over again tells us to avoid. And so if they're not in the room, chances are I probably shouldn't say it. It means that there's a time and place to share certain things and there's a time and place not to and we should know the difference. So that's where discretion comes in. And so what's the result of a filthy mouth? Well, let's look in verse 30. Look in verse 30 here. What's, what's the consequence? It's not only that it hurts the other person and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Did you know that? That the very spirit of God, that when we get this wrong, when, we, when our speech is not seasoned with salt and light to preserve and to give life and to be holy, but when it's foul and putrid, that it makes God sad. It breaks his heart. I don't think we think about that a whole lot, like that God emotes, that he like feels, but he's the author of emotions. Emotions aren't bad. They're, they're great. And God expresses all of them in righteous ways. And so we grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit when we practice foul language. And so Paul says, don't, don't do that. Now, no Christian in the room would want to grieve God's spirit, but sometimes we find ourselves there. But I find, I find it helpful to remember what the spirit has done for us, okay? He regenerates, he gives new life. When you place your faith in Jesus, he he causes you to be born again. He, he's the one that washes, the, like the actual washing of the sin away, like the actual power washing of your soul. That's through the power of the Spirit. Jesus accomplished the work. It's his blood that saves, but the Spirit is the one who does the save. It's, it's through his power. And so no wonder it grieves him when we have those moments. Not, not only did he regenerate us, he sealed us. He made us belong to God. Not everybody's a child of God, only if you belong to God, only if he is your Lord and Savior, only, only if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He's also indwelt us. The Bible says that the spirit of God comes to live inside of you. Therefore, Paul says that your body, get this, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple is not this. It's not a building with a steeple on it. It used to be that way, but it's not that way anymore. The temple of the Holy Spirit now is your very body. And that's why what we do with our bodies matters. That's why even things like diet are not just about fads and about looking great and about pride and things like, like all the things that we tend to, that Satan tries to make it about, but it's really about honoring God with this body that he's given us. And so we honor our bodies as well in that, a temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we use our body for good and not for evil. And then the Spirit teaches us, right? He teaches us all things about scripture, about God. He not only teaches us, he prays for us. Hey, when you don't know what to pray, let me encourage you with something today. When you don't know what to pray, 
the Spirit is already praying for you. Romans chapter 8 says that. It says that he, he is at the throne of God praying with words that we can't even make out. Like, they're not even in the English language. Like, they're in a heavenly land, and the Spirit is, is pouring it out. Within the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's this community that exists, and part of what the Spirit does is he prays for you. Man, isn't that a privilege? That he would pray, I mean, for you specifically, and for me specifically. That's amazing. So he does all of that. So the last thing we would want to do to the Spirit who sanctifies us, who makes us more like Jesus every day, is to grieve him. Galatians 5, 16 to 17 says this. This is great application for us today. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And if you do that, what will happen? You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another, so you are not to do whatever you want. And so we walk according to the Spirit. How do we do that? Verse 31 continues to tell us about this speech about not grieving the Spirit. What does 31 say? Let all bitterness, here's a list for us, let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. So here's just a good checklist for us to check ourselves. And maybe just a good spiritual discipline for you and I this week would be just to look at this list and just be like, am I pleasing the Spirit or grieving the Spirit with each one of these things? And we don't have time to go through each of them this morning, but I think we can look at a list like this. We talked about anger a good bit. We talked about this, this rage and this, and this, what 31 shows us, this is, these are words out of control, okay? And bitterness is probably the one that, that I see the most nowadays that I really see holding people back. It's bitterness. And you know what it is? It's exactly what we said earlier about anger. It's a refusal to tackle the anger and hurt in your heart. And here's how it manifests itself. Here, here's, how, here's how I have seen it. It's when people in their lives they will not, um, if, 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 if there has been conflict, they will not resolve the conflict. They will move on in the name of grace and say, I'm just gonna be gracious and move on. But when in fact, they never really sat down with the person they had the conflict with and really, and they may not come away from the conflict hugging each other and being besties and all that kind of stuff, but they never really communicated the hurt and frustration. And so they stuffed it. And then they went on through life and they stuffed it more and stuffed it more and stuffed it more. And then that just festered and it turns into bitterness. And so conflict is not bad. Conflict can be really good, but ignored conflict and stuffed conflict is always bad. It just always ends up bad. And it ends up being very bitter. It makes you bitter. And so I would encourage us today, man, if there's someone that you need to talk to, if there's someone you need to call up or meet for coffee and just, and, and not like spray them down with, with, you know, all these words and just yell at them and stuff, but just, but just to be honest and just say, hey, like this is how this made me feel. Like at least just getting that out there and just saying, but I'm working towards forgiveness and, I, and just being honest with one another in that way. I think it would really help. And I think God's word makes it clear that that would really help. So where do we end today? Verse 32. So what do we do, Paul? What, what do we do, Lord? Be kind and compassionate to one another. That's a good command, isn't it? Be kind and compassionate to one another. 
And here's how we do that, forgiving one another. Here's when forgiveness really begins to take off in your life, and we'll end here. When you realize what God has done for you, and you realize your sin and how much it offended God and the amount of grace he's poured out towards you, that is when then you have the capacity to forgive others. When we fail to forgive others, it's typically because we have not grappled with our own sin to the point to where we need to. And I don't know about you, but when I look at what God has forgiven me from, when I think about my life, especially my life before Christ, I got saved at 20, had two decades of not living for God. It's very religious, but didn't know Jesus. And I was not living for him. And all the things that I did to offend God, and that, that pile was just so high. And the fact that he forgave me of even just those, It just, I don't know how I couldn't forgive someone else. He's forgiven me of so much greater. How could I not forgive someone else of so much less? And I, and I say less and less of quantity, and God is perfectly holy, so that means even just one little sin, as we might call it, offends him greatly. Like an ounce of poison would ruin your food, like an ounce of, um, you know, like an ounce of anything putrid, like you wouldn't go near it. You wouldn't put it in your body. And that's how offensive our sin is to God. But here's the good news. He gives grace to the humble. And he'll give grace to you. All we have to do is admit that we have sinned before him. We say that to him. We say, God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And then we give our lives and hearts to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again from the grave. And I want to follow you. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord, the boss and king of our life, and our Savior in whom we trust, when he's your Lord and Savior, here's what happens. Your sin and your heart is washed white as snow. You have a fresh start. And even though you may sin after that, Jesus' blood covers you completely. And you are enabled and empowered to walk in the Spirit, just like we said a minute ago. Maybe some of the frustration that you're having in the Christian walk, in the Christian life, is because you are not yet empowered to walk out that Christian life. Maybe you're trying to obey a list of rules, but the Spirit is not actually living inside of you to empower you to do that. And that simply happens by trusting in Christ completely. Let Him shower you with His love and grace and mercy and forgive you of your sin. Quit trying to pay God back. Rely on His grace. I'm telling you, I, I quit trying to pay God back Year, years ago. I finally realized it's his work, his finished work on the cross, not anything I could add to it. And when I got that, it freed me. The chains of dead religion fell off of me. And I stopped trying to pay God back. And instead, I lived a life of gratitude and worship to where this isn't what I have to do. This is what I get to do for God. And for those of us in the room today, we're struggling with with, uh, with honesty, with anger, with integrity, with filthy speech maybe. I've been there. I get it. It's hard. But you can have victory over those things. You really can. It's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? Like, man, I'll never get over that. That's just my vice. That's, that's just what I struggle with. I'm just always going to. And that's, that's exactly where the devil wants you. But I'm just here to tell you. I'm, I'm here to remind you today. There's hope. And the Spirit of God can give you victory in those sins. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect on this side of eternity. But what it means is that you will start racking up some W's 
and some of those L's will start fading away. If you think about a win-loss kind of thing, you will start to see more W's in that area. God will give you victories. Now build your faith, and it'll grow you closer to God, and he'll use you in ways that you never thought you could be used. But let me tell you, no matter where you've been, no matter where you are right now, God wants to use you for his glory, and he will use you for his glory if you decide that you want to lean into that. And so let's ask him today just to use us greatly. Can we pray together? God, as we live out this Christian life, as we walk in love, as we walk in your light, as imitators of God, little mirrors that reflect your glory, as we value the integrity of our hearts, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Lord, so it's got to be about the heart. And Lord, I just pray that in this room, that this would be a room full of people that would say, my heart belongs to Jesus. And if there's someone in this room today that that is not true, that they, would, they, they could not say that at this moment, that you would lead them to that moment where they would say, that is what I want. I want my heart to belong to God. I want my mind to be made completely new. And Lord, I pray that you would lead each person in this room to repent and believe the gospel. And if anyone needs help with that, Lord, I pray that you would lead them to, to grab that connect card and say, I want to I talk with the pastor this week. Or I, wanna, or, or I have questions about my faith. Or, or I need to talk to someone about something else, Lord, that they would reach out. And Lord, that we would be here as a church to help people journey closer to you. And God, I pray for every believer in the room, every, every Christian that's trying to walk with you, trying to live out this faith. God, I pray that you would empower them. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would encourage them, God, because I believe that there are people here today that desperately need that encouragement, that are really discouraged right now. They just don't feel like they can do it. And Lord, when we have those moments, we are right. We can't do it, but you can. And in our weakness, that is when we discover our strength in you. So help us trust in you. Help us walk in the spirit today, Lord. Empower us to really think deeply about our hearts and about our mouths and about how we live for you. And help us do all of this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at Anchor Church CSRA.